The drive to go further and reach higher. The same thing that inspires you, inspires us. At Strayer University, we're always searching for new ways to make education more affordable. That's why we offer access to up to 10 no-cost gen ed courses to help you save time and money so you can keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. No-cost gen ed provided by Strayer University affiliates of Field Learning. Eligibility rules apply. Connect with us for details. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by Chef. Welcome to the Francisca Show, and this week we have Sarah Dukes from North Carolina, currently living in New York. She is an award-winning composer and pianist, and we are so excited to have you on the show, so welcome. Thank you so much. Uh, let's get started with ha- what your musical background is, and when did you start composing music? Um, well, I started taking piano lessons when I was six years old. And um, it was very fun and exciting at first, but eventually it started to become boring and I didn't want to practice anymore and I didn't want to go to lessons anymore. Um, And my parents were very smart and they did not let me quit. And they said, you need to sit by the piano every day for 20 minutes. We don't care what you do. We don't care if you're going to practice your music or not, but you have to sit there. And they made me literally sit there for 20 minutes. So it got to the point where I'm thinking, okay, I'm sitting here. I for sure didn't want to practice. Um, And I began just playing around on the piano and experimenting with the keys. And at a certain point I realized, hey, wait a minute, I can create my own melodies and my own songs. And, um, and suddenly the piano became like a magical device for me. And I started really, really enjoying it and enjoying my time that I was spending with it. And I actually composed my first song when I was eight years old. Wow. That really reminds me of, of the way I started playing. My parents didn't have to force me. (laughs) I, I had my older sister and we always, she also took piano lessons, and when we'd come home, we'd rush to see who would get to the piano first. And it's a funny story, but even when she, when I'd get to it first, like the few times I'd get to it first, she would tell me that I have to give it up for her because she's my older sister. <laughs> of course. So I guess by the time I did get to sit down, uh, I was very excited to play. But I also found myself fooling around more than playing what I was supposed to be practicing. So I really relate to a lot of the stuff you just mentioned. It's really cool how you started composing at such a young age. And you're right. Your parents are very smart for, you know, just getting you to commit to a small amount of time and not letting you quit. Right. I I think that everyone at some point, maybe you're the exception, um, but when they begin a new instrument at some point goes through a stage where it's like, okay, that was fun. Now on to the next thing. And the goal is really to just get through that stage because it does eventually become more fun. Yes, absolutely. I did stop for a short amount of time. I have no idea how long that time was. But I, with my students, I experienced that a lot. And a lot of the students do quit at that stage. So I definitely agree that that exists. (laughs) Yeah. And my parents were 
really, really supportive and really encouraging. So anytime they heard me playing around or experimenting, they would always yell from the other room, oh, it sounds great. It sounds wonderful. Keep going. And, you know, that definitely motivated me to continue doing it and continue exploring and experimenting and coming up with new melodies. Wow. It really reflects in your music, you know, the fact that there was a lot of love and support um, yeah. when you, when you, with your creations. So I know you've mentioned you're from North Carolina, and I know you are a young Balchuva. So is that, was that a family turnaround? Did you become from with your family? And how, what was life like in North Carolina? Well, our family, um, we were originally traditional. Both my parents were from South Africa. So we would have the traditional Friday night meal. Um, we would drive to Shul on Shabbos. And um, I have an older sister. And there was a Jewish day school in Charlotte, but she was too old to go. So she went to a private school. And every summer, she actually went to sleepover camp to a Chabad um, overnight camp. And she came back being so inspired every year. And at a certain point, she decided that she wanted to do more mitzvahs and keep more mitzvahs and start keeping Shabbos more and kosher. And um, so she started that. I was probably around 11 or 12. And um, the siblings, like her and me and my brother, my younger sister, so we all kind of went along with her um, where we would walk. We lived two miles from the shul. So we would walk to Shoal, and I remember my parents in the car next to us the whole way, driving next to us the whole way, pulling into people's driveways, waiting for us to catch up. Um, and it would take us about an hour to walk, and they were, you know, together with us in the car just to make sure we were okay. Um, and then at a certain point, they started keeping more kosher with us. So we would go out and get hamburgers from Burger King and go and just eat it outside our house to not bring it into our kosher house. Um, and eventually, you know, we all started uh, learning more and doing more together as a family, but also um, this, my siblings and I, we went away to a, a Jewish high school because there's no Jewish high school in Charlotte. So we got sent away and we obviously learned more and whatever we learned, we brought home and, you know, brought it back to our parents and they continued learning with the rabbis. So, you know, the, to answer your question, I guess it's both. Like it was a family journey and an individual journey as well. Wow. That's so interesting. I love the story about your parents, you know, driving slowly with you while you walk to shul. It really encompasses some beautiful moments there. So which high school did you go to? I went to Yeshiva Girls School in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, I actually went there from eighth grade till the end of high school. So I was there for five years. Um, it was such an unbelievable community there. I had really, really wonderful support uh, network. And that's actually where I composed probably most of my songs just from being away and having, you know, all those mix of emotions and from being a teenager and really the piano became um, 
my journal, I guess, or my compositions became my journal, um, where I would just go and express myself through the keys. Um, and I, I really, I'm self-taught composer. I really did not know what I was doing. So um, because of that, I was also very insecure about my music. Um, but my, the community, my, my friends there, everyone was very, very encouraging. And they kept saying, it's beautiful. You have to share it. Um, so it really, that set the foundation of just, you know, just being surrounded by, um, by, by really positive people um, who supported me, who encouraged me and who believed in me, which I think is very, very important. Wow. It, it, it is so important. And it's amazing how I like how you said it's your musical journal of compositions or it's your journal in in the music language. Right. So right. since we're talking about that, can you tell me more about the process of your composition? Yeah, um, I when I compose, I don't want to feel restricted by any rules of music or theory um, or the grammar, so to speak. Um, I really just want to let my emotions come out in the raw form. So I just, honestly, I'm just, I'm, I'm not analyzing it as I'm playing. Does this make sense? Does this sound weird? Um, is this tacky? Like, I, I'm not really thinking of any of that. I'm just really just releasing emotions. Um, and that's why, again, it is, I did have a lot of insecurity about my music um, because I didn't know if it made sense. Like, I didn't think it sounded good or it was good enough to share with other people because for me, you know, I, I knew that I wasn't really thinking about anything in the moment. And, you know, I loved it. It was an expression of of my emotions and me and what was going on. But again, I didn't know if it made sense or if it was good enough for other people to really appreciate it. So that's really what goes on even till today. You know, when I'm, when I'm composing now, I'm, I'm not thinking about it. I don't want to feel boxed in um, by any, again, rules or structure. Um, and really I just let myself just go and be and feel. So well, that's where my music um, definitely stems from. So I, I feel like a lot of artists identify with you because it's not a science. It is an art, and you have to just let it be. I know there are a lot of – I mean, if you were writing a symphony, then you'd have to start listening to some of the rules. But um, I guess my question is, where do you get – like, you speak of, of your insecurities because of of – the lack of training maybe in the composition mm -hmm. area. So where right. did you get the courage to, you know, decide to produce and release your first album? Um, okay. So that's a really good question because that took a very, very long time. Um, I, you know, all throughout high school and seminary and college. And even after I got married, um, I would play 
my compositions when asked. But again, I did have that insecure feeling about them um, because of, you know, the different reasons that you mentioned. And everyone kept saying, you have to make a CD, you have to make a CD. And I never had the courage to do it. And I never honestly believed them that it was good enough to make a CD. And I thought, okay, my friends and my family would buy my CD, but no one else would really appreciate them. Um, And I really, really believe that. And I think that's where a lot of my challenges came from is that it came from within is that we believe that society well society actually dictates that in order to be respected or valued or appreciated you have to produce perfect results you have to look perfect you have to dress perfectly um, your stuff has to be perfect your work has to be perfect and anything less than that is just it's not good enough and i definitely fell under that trap of thinking that my music is not perfect and therefore it's not good enough and no one will appreciate it and i eventually realized um that people are not necessarily attracted to perfection, but they're attracted to sincerity and things that come from the heart. And um, it really, it was a really, really big step for me to take. And I really had to put my ego aside and say, you know what, this is, they, people obviously are really connected. They feel connected to my music. They're attracted to my music for some reason. It must be because of this reason that it comes from the heart. And, you know, we learn that what comes from the heart enters the heart. And um, and I realized that this was something that I needed to do and that I had to do, even if I wasn't particularly comfortable with the idea. Um, also, at a certain point, I ran into a quote which I love it's my favorite quote by Leo Viscalia that um, that said um, the talent that God gives you is his gift to you what you do with it is your gift back to back to God and I realized that God has given me this gift of composition and composing and and I'm here I am saying it's not good enough and you gave me this gift, but I'm not comfortable sharing it and it's not good enough and no one will like it. And I realize like that's not for me. That's not for me to say, you know, Hashem gave me this gift and now I have the obligation to use it and to give back. Um, so, you know, with all that being said and with an extremely strong support group, which I think is very, very important, just surrounding myself with people who really encouraged me and really believed in me and kept me going. So um, I started the process of making a CD and really releasing that first CD was one of the scariest things I have ever done. I can imagine. So what were the steps after you released the CD in terms of promoting it? I know you uh, had your music on the ballots of the Grammys and featured on airline and flight entertainment system. So how did you get it out there in front of the right people? How, how did you get to, to this place of tremendous exposure? Well, it really, honestly, it took a lot of emails, um, calling people. The attitude that I have when it comes to this is, you know, I remember someone telling me, um, if you don't ask, the answer is always no. So I would ask um, 
send emails. Do you want, do you want to play the music for here? Here's my music. Do you want to listen to it? Um, and until I got an actual no, I kept going and I kept going until, you know, stuff started happening. Um, for example, um, there's a group called um, Whispering Artists. It's a solo mm-hmm. piano. It's like exclusively solo p- piano group. And um, it's very, very difficult, I guess, to be a part of this this community, the solo pianist community. And, and one of the biggest, some of the biggest, I'm sorry, some of the biggest solo pianists are part of this group. It's an international group that only has probably about 150 or 200 um piano soloists. And when my first CD came out, I emailed them to see, to submit my CD, my music, to see if I could be part of this group and be part of their radio. And I think it probably took a total of like a year and a half because every time I tried going on to their submission page, um, I saw a notice saying we're not, you know, we're, there's too many submissions. We're not taking any new submissions at this time. And every couple of months, I just kept going back. I kept going back to check. And at a certain point, again, probably about a year and a half or two years later, um, they, I saw that submissions were open. And so I submitted my music and I was so, so surprised. Um, very surprised and so happy to excited, I guess, to get um, an email back saying that I was selected and handpicked as one of the whispering artists. So that was definitely my first uh, my first way in from that. And from that, I was able to submit it to other radio stations by saying, you know, I'm part of the whispering artist group, um, which definitely held a lot of weight. Um, and I sent my music to people who I knew produced documentaries and filmmakers. Um, and, and I really took an active role in, you know, promoting myself and my music, which, which is hard. But I, you know, I, this is what I had to do. And I did not give up and I did not let it rest until I either got a, an absolute yes or an absolute no. So even if I got a maybe, I would constantly follow up until I got one of those answers. Um, in terms of the Grammys, um, that was my second CD. And I was thinking, I knew that they were um, accepting submissions for the Grammys. And my first initial thought is, well, first I said, should I submit just for fun? And my second thought was, no, this is the Grammys we're talking about. You're just wasting your time. And then I remembered the quote, if you don't ask the answers, always no. So if I didn't submit, there would, for sure, I wouldn't be leaving any doors open for any possibilities. If I do submit it, then there is that slight chance that something could happen. Um, and I wouldn't know unless I actually submitted it. So, you know, it's about making a Kaylee. Um so I submitted it because I was like, why not? Anything can happen. And again, that was just another example of just being floored when I received notice that it made it onto the ballots. Um, so, so really, it's um, so it took effort. I also did have a promoter for my second CD as well. So she helped promote um, and my my music and get it on more radio stations and on the airlines. That's incredible. So are you getting royalties from these, from these I am. gigs? That's amazing. Yes, I am. The royalties, um, you know, they're slowly adding up. 
at some point I'll be able to buy a gumball. <laughs> um, no, but I do get royalties for it, which is it's nice every now and then to get like surprise money coming in. But good for you, really. You know, I love that quote. I think I'm going to have to take it more seriously because I do have the attitude right now. Just reach out. Don't be scared of rejection. But I guess if you don't reach out, the answer is no. So you have to just reach out. And you gave me a couple of ideas I might try to incorporate myself. <laughs> so, Great. yeah. So I love that you you've tried you have a you had a promoter I don't know if you're still working with her and you really tried to not limit yourself to the Jewish market which is really smart move can you tell me a little bit if you perform or if you do anything with the Jewish scene or the Kalisha scene um I I do perform um I guess I have uh I definitely have an advantage when it comes to Kalisha um, because my music is piano solo. There's no singing. You definitely don't want me singing. Um, I, I don't have any restrictions when it comes to performing in front of men. Um, I don't, you know, in the past I've done street fairs or played in, you know, hospital lobbies. Um, but I don't, I mean, I typically perform more for women events. Um, I've gone to, Montana and Minnesota and Cleveland, um, just a few places I've gone to to perform for um, women. Um, and it's really nice. You know, I, I tell my story, I perform my pieces. Um, typically, I, I do consider myself more of a composer than a pianist. And that's why on my CDs, you will find that I had Jeroen Groschowski perform the songs for me. Um, and that's because I compose it in my head um, in a certain way that I, I don't have the piano skills to be able to play it exactly how I compose it. And for the CD, I really, really wanted to be able to um, share the compositions that I really feel inside of me. And so I needed to, to find a pianist who would be able to do that and be able to get the feelings out more that I wanted to um, share with others. So that's, you know, that's its own separate process, but um, I do still perform my songs however I'm able to um, with performances, and it's really, it's, you know, it's really nice events. That's really special. Um, just curious and thinking if, um, you know, you have two little babies at home <laughs> or in your life right now, and how's that affecting your career oh. and well I actually have six kids oh okay <laughs> I have two at home with me I do have six kids five of them are boys um so I have a very very busy house um with a lot of action uh, so that's it that is a very good question um I I I can never find the time there's never any time to do this. I really, really have to make the time. It's really important to make the time um, for a couple of reasons, mainly because composing and working on my music really resets me and re-energizes me. So I don't really have a choice. If I'm raising all these kids and I have this much going on in my life, I really, it's, it's like crucial to make time for yourself and to do something for yourself that will re-energize you. Um, so 
I will definitely hire babysitters sometimes um, so that I can specifically work on my music and say, okay, I need an hour now to just sit uninterrupted just to be able to play. Um, So that definitely happens sometimes. Um, I'm also very grateful to have a husband that is extremely supportive um, and encouraging as well. So there are times where I'll have inspiration. um, And I know that if I don't take advantage of that, I will lose it. And when that happens, he he very generously um, offers to take over the responsibility. So if it's like dinner time and bedtime and, you know, that that crunch time, um, he'll take over and he'll do everything that needs to be done so that I can work on my music and, you know, release whatever needs to be released. That's really, really special. I love hearing that. And um, I'm really in the new stage of motherhood. So I really haven't had so much experience creating and working on my music with my child. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it's definitely a learning area for me. And I hope my husband will do that for me too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I did want to ask you about uh, the challenges of your career and what, um, how you overcome them. I, I guess the main one is, is, as I mentioned before, that most of them come from within. I still, I, I you know, it'd probably be surprising me here, but I'm still insecure about my pieces. Um, I, and I actually think that most artists can relate to that because when we create something, it comes from within us. So if it's art or music or poetry, whatever it is, it's, you know, it's a part of ourselves that we are exposing and sharing with the outside world. And because of that, it can be very scary and very intimidating to do that. Um, So either we push it off and don't do it, or we don't do it at all because, because of that fear. Um, or we just do it and close our eyes and, you know, jump in. Um, so I do think that, um, that's where some of my challenges come from is I have to remind myself, this is what Hashem wants me to do. Hashem wants me to share this. Hashem wants me to use this. Hashem, you know, that, that, that I'm doing this for Hashem. Um, so that's one thing that helps me when I when I think about it. Um, and just, I guess my other challenge is, is that I'm not able to work on it as much as I probably would like to um, because of my situation, because of my kids. Um, so there are definitely times where, you know, um, if I have a concert performing performance coming up, And if my baby is, you know, if he needs me, I can't practice when I need to practice. And um, that's definitely another challenge as well. Just trying to make time also, because I said, you don't find the time you have to make it. But, you know, it's definitely challenging sometimes to be able to work it into your schedule. I have so much to say on this topic just because you did mention the fact that Hashem gave you gift and you feel like you have to pay, you know, by by developing it and using your gift, you're giving it back to Hashem. But then where is, where's the balance and the practicality? Are you hoping to make money out of this career? 
And if not, how much are you willing to invest in terms of promoter? I'm assuming you hired your own Gershovsky. How much right. are you giving to this, you know, as a gift because it's an obligation? Right. Um, so am I hoping to make money? Yes, of course. Did I go into this to make money? No, not at all. Um, I went into it because I know that this is what Hashem wants us to do. He wants us to use our talents. Um, definitely not to be a martyr, you know, just do everything for free because Hashem wants us to use it. But um, it is very difficult to make money off this. And I did it because it's something that I love doing. And I actually heard of a title of a book. I never actually read it. So I don't know what it's about, but it resonated with me. And the title is called Don't Die With The Music In You. And I was thinking to myself, I have this music inside of me. Like, that would be really sad if, God forbid, I died and, like, all this music is inside. Like, I want to get it out. I should be able to share it with people. It's important for me to share it with people. Um, And because of that, I was like, you know, this is just what I have to do. And I invested, you know, I I did definitely pay your own. And there's a lot of money that goes into producing a CD and the design work and duplicating it. And there's just, you know, it's a big investment, but we definitely, you know, we budgeted for it. We did one song at a time. I think the first CD, there's about 14 songs. It took probably it probably takes about four or five years for me to make a cd i know between my first cd and my second cd it took four years it took time but you know we did a new song once every few months and then we saved up for the next song and when we had enough we did the next song and eventually there you know i was able to put together a whole cd um yeah the goal was to make back um i was hoping I wasn't expecting to, but I was hoping to make back what I put in. I actually was able to do that with my first CD, which was really great. And then, you know, again, I started the process again with the next CD. But, um, yeah, I guess to answer your question, you know, it's it's really nice to make money, but I don't feel like that should restrict us from using our talents if we can't make money off it. Wow, that's really beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. I'd love to close up with what's your message for the women out there? I I guess my message is to really surround, we should all surround ourselves with positive people. Um, I think women by nature, you know, we were created to create things and that's not just babies it's creating anything again from art pottery writing poetry baking what music whatever it is that's inside of us um that it's just again it's just our nature and it's very important to use the talents and really believe in ourselves believe that this is what Hashem wants us to do he gave us this special unique talent for a reason um we should find it develop it use it share it and um and when we do that process again to surround yourself with with positive people because there's a lot of negative people and the truth is a lot of that comes from us individually ourselves we put ourselves down we criticize ourselves and our work and we really really have to try and stay positive and again if we have friends or network or support system that pushes us and says no you've got this you can do this your your work is incredible Um, it really really helps push us to share it and um you know, I think what you're doing is great. You're giving women 
opportunity to be able to share their talent um, and to get it out there to others. And, you know, just doing more things like like that and creating a safe place to share what we have. I didn't mention yet, but your music is stunning. And I love the fact that you felt like you couldn't give it justice and you hired someone and you justified the fact that you needed someone more professional to to translate your music to the to the ears of the audience. And, you know, it's really appreciated. And I'm so happy you made your money back on your first album. I hope you do that again on your second album. Yeah, I you know, I remember when I first released my first CD, someone came up to me saying how beautiful it was and they gave me a bracha that I should sell out of all my CDs. And I kind of just laughed like, yeah, that would be like a dream come true. It's probably not going to happen, but thank you. And I said, I said amen, just because it's important to say amen when someone gets a bracha, you have to draw it down. Um, and I actually ended up by selling out my first CD and had to reorder it. And, you know, when that happened, I went back to when that person gave me that bracha and my doubt, like strong doubt, like that's most likely never going to happen. And it's really important for us to not doubt ourselves and not doubt our capabilities and now not doubt Hashem. And really like if we're doing this because we need to do this and this is what Hashem wants us to do it. So then really we have to do our part and leave the rest up to Hashem. And Hashem is really capable of giving us back anything, you know, that we want or need or, you know, and, and just not limit ourselves. It's a lot to take in. It's easy to say. It's hard to actually implement and, you know, for getting over your insecurities and producing your project. We can't wait to hear more of your stuff. Everyone should go and download and order an album from Sarah. And we wish you much atzlacha, really, in everything you do. I mean, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. You can download my music from iTunes, Amazon. I have sheet music available from my website, sarahdukesmusic.com. This is the Francisca Show, and have a great week.